Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is an executive coach that challenges leaders to re-examine their assumptions about power, politics, and authenticity. His contrarian views have been featured in the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and other international media. He's the author of Get Promoted, What You're Really Missing Out at Work That's Holding You Back, which will be released in April of this year. He served 20 years in senior roles on breakthrough businesses in the United States, China, and Europe. He holds an MBA from Stanford Business School and trained to be an executive coach at Columbia University. His focus is on understanding and building power, a word that often has a negative connotation and a topic most people mistakenly shy away from. Well, we're not going to shy away from it today. We're going to talk about that. He believes understanding power is the key to success if you want to move up, get big things done, and be a better leader. On a personal note, Michael and I have known each other for over 30 years. I met him on the tennis court when I was teaching tennis to pay my bills back in the 90s when I had my first business. Who would have known that this young man back then would grow up to be an international author, businessman, and executive coach. I have to admit, I saw things in him then that he is manifesting today. Please welcome my longtime friend, Michael Wenderoth. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Gary, it is great to be here, and thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, so how's the tennis game, by the way? Just, you know, let's start with that. Tennis game continues. I, you know, I play regularly, as I know you do. And one of the things from living around the globe is I pretty much travel always with my rackets. And I have a, well, we don't say Rolodex anymore, right? But my contacts of, you know, great tennis players in pretty much every city that I've ever lived in. So next time I'm down in Raleigh, we're hitting. We'll, we'll have to do it. I look forward to it. So where are you living now? I am here outside of Madrid, Spain, over here in Europe, across the pond. So let's talk about, you know, I, we, we met on the tennis court many years ago, but since then, over the 30 years, you've had a very interesting journey. Let's fill people in. Take a few minutes and explain some of the journey because you worked at Silicon Valley, you lived in China, you live in Europe. It's not the average kind of a life for someone that was never in the military like I was. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of walk through a little of that history and, and there's uh, kind of took me all around the globe. So we'll kind of spin from the East Coast to to college in uh, Northfield, Minnesota, Carleton College, small liberal arts. And I studied history there. And uh, you know what they say, right? The, a lot of CEOs are liberal arts grads, but it is not an entry level position. Um, so <laughs> at that time, and this is kind of an arc that runs through a lot that I do, I was, you know, always thinking kind of what's ahead and what's interesting. I think the professional and personal kind of blend there. And I went to China 
um, mm. right out of undergrad. And so this was, I'm going to date myself here. This is 1992, 93. China was just opening up, was a very exciting place to be. And um, I started there working in journalism, but I quickly mm. moved over to where I thought I could learn the most. And that was a small uh, American company that was doing work in the field of healthcare. And one thing led to another, right? This is the guy who gets stuff done. That's really kind of been my um, mantra. And four years later, I had helped, I'd driven kind of the setup of the first private joint venture hospital over there. So transforming healthcare. Mm. That was a step then. I kind of brought me back to the States. I went to Stanford. I wanted to see what was going on in Silicon Valley. This was uh, the late 90s where the internet was starting to take off. Uh, so I was at Stanford Business School, really transformative experience. Needed to get away from China, went down to Texas for a while. I worked at Dell, uh, but really came back. And um, around 2000, when everything had imploded, was probably the worst time in the world to graduate. I joined a small startup called uh, Align Technology, which people may know as Invisalign. Um, uh. Straight teeth, no braces. So I was there at the ground floor, and that took me around the world, um, both starting the business, sales, product management, marketing in the States, then took me over to Europe, where I ran marketing over here. I took a detour, right? One of these things about reinvention, worked as an innovation consultant for years, but rejoined Align to go start their entire business in China. Um, at that time, kind of took my family with me. And so I had spent a long time in China early in my career, some consulting, you know, and then kind of came back to a very transformed China and started up and grew Align's business there. It's you know, their second largest market in the world uh, after the state. So it grew very quickly. And then um, six years ago, I moved back here to Europe and I moved into executive coaching, uh, teaching and training. And that is a focus today, but it's again, this reinvention, uh, building breakthrough businesses. And the area that I focus on is something I really saw in my professional career about uh, what drove people's success and helping people like you do to become better leaders. Yeah. What I like about everything that you said is, is this combination of, you know, you get a history degree and my younger son has a history degree and he is a CEO of a company now. And, you know, you got your master's in business administration. So you continued your education, which I'm, I'm going to guess that's never stopped as I look at some of the things that you do, you always learning, right? But do you, you you sprinkle in a lot of life experiences with a lot of different things from, from Dell to startups to the, you know, yeah. the healthcare, all these different types of companies, which also means different types of cultures, different types of leadership opportunities for you, but to also be able to see leadership from other people. Yeah. And, and now, you know, you come out with this book on power. Why, why power? I mean, what's, what's the deal? <laughs> well, here's, I mean, it's a very personal story and, and I know you've read the book and, you know, people will see it soon. And I start the book with a very personal story, which is, you know, as I was mid-level in my career and, and watched classmates from college, business school and people I worked with, I noticed just, you know, some of the, 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 the best, smartest, hardworking people started to tap out in organizations. And they weren't rising. And there was this other group of people that seemed to be rising really fast. So one being curious and seeing this play out in different industries, in different countries, right, in different settings. And so there was a commonality. And it's like, what's going on? 
So I kind of took my marketing hat, which is about in sales hat, which is about understanding people and turned it inside into an organization. And really this differentiating factor, um, you know, which is central to the book, was that the people who are getting ahead and then able to achieve, you know, these either top positions or have influence, they really understood this thing called power. You know, how to understand power dynamics, diagnose it, and leverage it and build it themselves. Personally, but also in their organizations to help themselves, to help other people and get things done. And so it is the, the, the piece that is really surprising here is a lot of people shy away from it. They don't do it. And they, you know, they think it's evil. They think it's dirty. The corollary is, is, is politics, right? Office politics. And these are realities of everyday life. You know, the leadership literature that ignores this, those are people who have never worked in, in corporations or with other people. Are um, the people are the people that ignore it? I mean, let's face it. You know, I, so I, I, di I did a little research and yeah. I want to find out what your model is, but I did a little research on this. And I, when I Googled this, I came across the five different types of power, the seven different types of power, the 10 different types of power. I've always, I like seven because I wrote the book, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. Right. So that's my favorite, right? And I went through and I look at legitimate, coercive, expert, informational, reward, connection, and referent power. And yes. I look at all these things and I've, I've always been someone who likes to keep things simple, right? So I look at all of these different types of power, but I separate the first six and the last one, referent power, which is personal power. Mm -hmm. Do we have a trusting relationship? Do we have integrity? Do, do we have each other's back, as we say in the military? All the other things are fleeting. Mm. Legitimate power is positional power. It's like, do you have uh, by law or by edict and policy within the company or vice president, you have positional power. Uh, expert power is, I, I, I'm an expert. I'm, I'm a, a doctor of business administration. So people listen to me because I'm an expert. But they're not going to listen to me if I don't have a relationship with them where they trust me. So all of these other things to me are transient in nature, definitely usable in certain situations. And being ignorant of it, it puts you in a position, and I'm thinking this is the way your book is, is putting you in a position where you could get the legs cut out from under you within an organization and you don't even know you've been cut. Yeah. And this is what burned me up because I saw a lot of really good people get fired, right? Get derailed. I mean, the, the rug pulled out from under them because they were not aware of these things. They had their head in the sand. They presented it did not exist. And really at base, you know, you can write your, your the adjectives that come to mind when you think about power and so forth. You give a very good summary there. But at, at base, this is about dealing with people. Mm. You know, in an organization, I don't care if you're two or more, power dynamics exist between us and you know who we listen to how we influence and get things done so these are all incredibly important and i you know this is the part also about being around the globe and it's, it is about people there are principles of how you build trust how you build relationships and get things done so this part around people is in, and relationships is critical and the second point which you raised i think is is very important is to think about the situation. Mm. What does the situation call for? <laughs> right? We could go through lots of examples, but a classic one is you don't, you know, you are interdependent in an organization. And if you don't get along with someone, 
you know, and you still need to get things done, you know, what does the situation call for, right? You guys calling names, you know, with each other, things aren't going to get done. So do you need to be maybe a little inauthentic to make that relationship work? Do you need to find ways to, to nudge or move people? Do you mean or, fake it till I make it? Fake it till you make Let it. Let you think I like you so that we can get things done? Is that if what you're saying? Maybe like or maybe this is what power is about, right? If I have more power over you, Gary, I have leverage. So, uh -huh. you know, there may be times, again, situational, context dependent, where you may want to pull the lever on stuff. A lot of people don't feel comfortable with that, but there may be times you need to use it, right? That doesn't mean you have to be evil, but you might need to be clear. You might need to... <laughs> do certain things. And this is what leadership and working organizations is about. One of my favorite words when we talk about power, we talk about leadership is context and context within a situation is everything. Yeah. And applying the right leverage or let's call it the right leadership approach. And we talk about this in our leadership development programs and people, well, what should I do in this situation? What would I do in that situation? They try to get, they're trying to look for an answer. And I say, well, it depends. It depends on all these factors that go into that situation, the context of it to understand it. To that point, one of the things I wanted to ask with your experience is, did you see a difference in the application of power in the different cultures that you worked in? from the United States where you worked at Dell and you worked at startups. So you worked at big companies, little companies, yeah, yeah. and then in, in China and in Europe, do you see different aspects of power being applied in these different scenarios? That's kind of part of the culture of the organization or the country that you worked in. Yeah. So I think that's a great question. This one about context and, and how are places different? Be that industry size, of company culture, you know, tech company, heavy industry, whatever it is. So I think it's a fantastic question. And, and I, I would say this key idea is that we're actually more similar as people than we are different. We are more similar. I mean, Maya Angelou had a, a very good poem <laughs> on this point that we're more similar than we're different. And I think we play up our differences a lot and too much. Okay. Yeah. But again, to this point around context, sure. You have to see, you know, what things are going on around you in the organization or what might be cult culturally appropriate. But if you understand basic principles of human nature, so, so sales, marketing in any country, right? There's some basic forces that are attract us that bring people together. People want to belong, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? They want to be part of something, mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, value things, you know, that are scarce, right? That, 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 you know, there are certain things here. People want to feel good about themselves, right? So this idea of being flattered or self-aggrandizement, right? These are things that, I mean, if you've worked in sales or you understand persuasion, you understand what some of these principles are. And those cut across everywhere. But if we go to just a nitty gritty example, right? You know, so one of the techniques that build a relationship with people, sometimes using a little flattery, making people feel good about themselves or tapping into similarity between us. Hmm. You know, so I always get the resistance from my German clients. They say, this just doesn't apply here. We're so serious and we, we can see that American flattery a mile away. Well, 
Yeah, in the context of a of a, a very strict German organization, you may not come and say, "Hey, oh, you know, you look so awesome today," you know, and that very kind of American, and it might work in LA or something. But you might say, you know, I read that article you wrote, and I thought this point was really on the button. Now, you, you may not like the person, but you're pointing out something that says, "Hey, you know, I value. I took some time. I, I looked at this, and that's flattering." You know, and just that simple technique, if we're talking about it, right, works very well. <laughs> so my clients will say, I tried it and like, whoa, my gosh, I reformed a relationship. But what you're saying is in, in showing that kind of appreciation, let's change the word from flattery to appreciation for something well done, right? Yeah. And you're looking at something and, and trying to separate your judgment and opinion about an individual. I don't like them. Okay. Is there, you know, and to your point, is there anything I do like about them? Because this is not on or off. I like them. I don't like them. It's a matter of degree in all things that we do. So what if I can look for some things that I admire in this person? Might that change my opinion about this person in terms of my like or dislike for them? Right. Because the problem with my like or dislike is not them. It's between my ears. <laughs> okay. So we got to start there, right? The work that exactly. we talk about in leadership is an inside out process. Everything is inside out. So I think recognizing the strengths and limitations that I have with understanding power is where I would start. What am I comfortable with? And there are some things within the understanding of power that I can expand my competencies in so that I could be more effective as a leader. Yeah. Is, that a, is that necessarily a bad thing? Right. This is about expanding your toolkit, your range, and then understanding what you need to summon or use in a particular situation. It's not to say, you know, it's that old hammer and a nail saying, right? If you're always using the same thing, you know, that's always going to be your yeah. go-to and it may not be appropriate. Yeah. Um, but these points around working with clients, my, my clientele is global leaders around the globe. Again, they're the, the principles. And that's what the book talks about. You know, these principles of power, we need political skills, networking, social capital, executive presence, visibility. These are applicable everywhere and 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 but you need to think about how you fit them into your context or work yeah. with them in a particular context or situation yeah so there's two things that you just said that that grabbed me one is politics and the other is visibility i i always talked about visibility in organizations so you, you need to do a little internal marketing because if people don't know what you're doing they're going to assume you're doing nothing and by the way this is kind of a human habit I've asked many, many times, if you don't know what Michael is doing, what's, what's Michael probably doing? Oh, he's probably not doing anything. What, really? He's been working here for 10 years. You think he's not doing anything? Well, I don't know what he's doing. And we just automatically go to that. So having a little internal marketing, like, like you're saying, is, is not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean you know being crazy about the way you're advertising all the good things that you do. But yeah. at the very least, you better keep your boss close to you and let the boss know what you're doing and what you're doing well, right? These relationships are critical. And I love the way you call it internal marketing because people, you know, they say, oh, self-promotion, right? <laughs> you know, the nail that sticks up is the one that gets nailed down. And this, honestly, it hurts a lot of groups. And not to say you have to go massively self-promote, but are other people talking about you, right? You cannot promote what you do not know. You cannot buy what you don't even know in the marketplace. And so these parts are really critical. And yeah, you need to play a part in that. I mean, I think, you know, you do drive a lot of your own career. 
Yeah. So and so let's go back to that other P word from power that people just love to talk about politics. Yeah. You know, politics, it's, it's a powerful avenue to get things done that a lot of people, again, like power, they don't like to talk about. And yet if you ignore it, you're going to find yourself either not getting opportunities that you're looking for, or might be out the door because of politics. Right. Right. You know, you know, and, and it, like you said, it's all based on, on relationship. I, look, I, I came to Raleigh, North Carolina to take a job as a VP of sales and marketing. And within about 18 months, the VP of operations was trying to take over the company or try to take over certain aspects of it, wanted me to work with them. Uh, I didn't play the politics as well as I could have. And even though I increased sales by 50% in less than two years, after sales had gone down by the same amount over the previous four years with five sales leaders, I got fired. And I got fired because I was not in tune with the politics at the time of the situation. Now, I, I will say that eight months later, the VP of operations also got fired. And, and the company healed itself because of the things that he was doing. But uh, my problem being a leadership expert, and I will say that I am after studying it since I was 16, uh, I could see all this coming. And I told the owner, you're going you're gonna to need to get rid of this guy or it's going to hurt your company. And that was my parting statement, but I didn't do enough to get my voice heard in politics prior to that so that I could leverage my situation and the, the growth that I had created within the organization. This is exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, this is exactly it. And one of the, you know, the key things I do in a, you know, a, a tool that I work and use, developed with a lot of executives is we create a power map which is to really understand the organizational dynamics. Sorry, not everyone is equal or has the same amount of influence or power in an organization. And it behooves you to know who the key stakeholders are, what they care about from a, from a professional and a personal level, like a lot is driven by ego, who influences them or what influences them. Because if you get clarity around that, and organizations have not yet been taken over by an AI algorithm, right? People make decisions. We know that they're irrational in many ways. You can cut through the clutter and really be able to go to the people who have the biggest influence on things, right? Getting you more budget, you know, being the one to promote you, being the one you know, at the board level who sees you. And so you need to be very strategic and deliberate about this. And this is, I would love to say everyone in the organization has purity of intent. They don't, no. right? And so you need to take care of yourself. This is a fundamental message I have because again, you know, this is the whole part around power. You know, if you get tapped out and you don't have influence or power, it is not to say you cannot get things done, but it sure as heck helps, right? If you've got resources, you have people following you, you have strong relationships, to make change. Now, I know that most of the listeners you know, are in the States and a large group of my clients are in the States, probably about 60%. And you know, the moment right now you know, that we are living through, and I'd say you know, there's power structure and you know, it behooves you to also get into positions of, of if you wanna see change, you know, be that change. Hmm. Be able to do it, don't. I, I tell a lot of my clients, we work together, it's like, hope is not a strategy. 
Well, that's the name of the book. And that was just what was coming to my mind. That was hope is not a strategy. I love hope this. Is not but a strategy. A power map, a power map sounds yeah. like, you know, knowing what you want to accomplish, who yeah. has the power, what so you actually go through with people. Can you give me an example of how you've done with this with somebody without using a name, but how you've actually helped someone put together a power map and how it's helped them in their, in their job. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll walk through an example and also tell you where this, a lot of the Genesis, which, which you'll like, and your listeners will like as well of this tool. But, you know, let's say, you know, an individual is, is thinking about, you know, how do they rise to the next level they, they want to get promoted. They want to have, you know, the ability to push through change in the organization and so forth. And so First, to take a step back, right? We're so busy, we're like doing a gazillion things, is to really say, well, who, okay, and it is who, who in the organization, if they wave the magic wand or they said yes to you getting promoted or your initiative gets their backing, you know, who would that person be? If you could only focus on one person. Now, maybe it's someone is usually up someone high, okay, but maybe not necessarily. And then maybe it's going to be two or three people, okay? Like, let's not name 10. Let's just start with the, the, the ones who could do the most. And then to work out from there. So this individual, you know, she was looking at this to say, you know, she wanted to make a bigger impact, go to a global role. And she is spending all of her time down in an organization. Not, nothing wrong with that, leading the team, but not thinking about how do I get more resources? She, she had like amazing stuff. She led a regional group all these innovations in her group, which were kind of getting someone else was taking credit for them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, she was doing her team a disservice. This is a part that people don't think about, right? Because she was always doing more with less, which meant her team was doing more with less. The fact she wasn't rising meant people on her team couldn't rise, right? Or they would go somewhere else, right? If they were ambitious mm -hmm. and, and so forth. So she had been spending time and, okay, this is also a woman of color, um, a lot of bias in her particular organization. And so like no one, right, at her level, but at the global level, there were lots of examples. So she thought bigger of like, hmm, there's some people way up who care about the stuff I'm doing, but I have zero visibility into them. Mm. And it would be helpful because this could be stuff in my region could be spread globally, which is really one of the things she cared about. And so she identified some people way up high, things that matter to them, Right. You know, one of them was, you know, he was a SVP thinking about his legacy, cared and mentored people. She, you know, created a relationship where he ended up mentoring her, got her lots of visibility. She also some, created some mechanisms that were helpful to building the business, bringing in customers, even her regional manager, which, you know, was the one not promoting her, but kind of kept him at bay. And these things did wonderful things because it created visibility, it was helpful, and friends in high places say, wow, this woman you know, ought to be driving stuff here at the global level. And things can happen very fast when you, when you look at the right levers. It's interesting as I listen to you talk about this, there's a whole bunch of things that pop into my head that are parallels to this. Uh, Jim Collins in Good to Great talks about when you're building an organization, it's first who, then what. When you're trying to build a power base within an organization, as you said, it's first who, then what. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to identify who you think might be able to help you and intentionally and with focus, build those relationships as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we really try to encourage people 
in organizations is to find mentors. You know, we, we had this in the military. We, we, we talked about have, having mentors and finding a, a, a general for me when I was in the army, uh, I had general Oblinger, a two-star general who supported me and helped me. And I got command early on and so on. I ended up leaving, but if you don't have those mentors, the biggest thing is not, there's two things. Number one is when opportunities present themselves, who are people going to look for to fill those opportunities? They're going to look for people they know, yeah. first of all. Secondly, if something goes wrong, I've said this many, many times in an organization, you can't save yourself. You need somebody up the chain of command that knows you, knows your heart, understands your intention. And if you make a mistake, they will protect you. Without that at a higher level, you're going to, like you said, you're going to end up getting fired or you're going to get pushed aside. Or you're not going to get the opportunities you're looking for without that mentoring. Mentoring is such a key to this. And it's funny because people don't look at mentoring as a negative thing on power or politics and all, but it all still comes under the same heading, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say, you know, you can take this, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. And it's one of the things we, you know, work with a lot of the executives because they're also, they, people rise because, you know, they do initially work hard, they're ambitious. And, you know, sometimes you look, they look internally too much, like I've got to do everything versus externally. And when you get up in the ranks, you simply have so many demands on your time. You need to be very focused. And it is more about relationships, particularly at the upper levels of organizations. So the mentoring, and I would say, you know, we take this to the other level too of, you want to also distinguish and identify people who are really going to sponsor you, which is behind closed doors, they are saying this individual, right? this or should be on that opportunity or the, you know, the fast track for opportunities. And so yeah. really critical. And back to one quick point, which I was saying earlier, the genesis of, of the power map and how it's become very effective when I work with individuals on it was because of both of our backgrounds in sales. So salespeople get crapped on all the time, right? You know, uneducated hacks, coin operated, et cetera. And so, and it's not even taught in most MBA programs marketing gets all the glitz and so forth. But if you study really good B2B sales reps, again, we're talking about the best. We're not, you don't want to study the middle. You don't want to study the bottom, certainly. They do things because their time is money. Their focus is money, right? So their focus is really incredible where they spend their time. If they're out in the field in particular, they've got to identify who's the key decision maker. Who's the influencer there? Who doesn't matter? <laughs> Who's opposed to you? Who might be your internal coach, which is feeding you information? How do you get central? And you've got to know what those people care about, right? It's not what you sell, it's what they buy. Yes. And so if you understand the buying center, if you understand that, then you get very strategic. Good sales reps aren't going out and talking to everyone. They're very focused very focused. And I say study B2B, particularly ones that need to have a relationship over time, right? Transactional and I'm out the door. Okay. That may be, you may do certain things that you, you know, don't want to study. But if you want to build a business with a company over time, turn some of those best practices onto your own organization and your own career. Most people don't think about it. There's an article, right? I wrote about this. But what was really interesting to go back to the story of the woman 
who was seeking the global role. She was an amazing sales rep. And she's, as she went through the power map and we worked on it, she's like, I, you know, she said, oh my gosh, this is what I do all the time on organizations, but I never do it on myself <laughs> and my own organization. So she drew from even more amazing practices that she had used to, to build her territory and build like great relationships with key accounts. So I thought my guess is once you opened up that floodgates with her and she realized the process that she used in business development and disqualifying and qualifying prospects and all that stuff, she realized I can use the same skills in her present position and she just took off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is a, a key point I also say is that many people have much more power than they think they do. Mm. And one of the problems is people abdicate their power, which is, you know, Oh, me telling someone what to do or me making a direct ask or being clear. Oh, that's being bossy. Oh, that's not being nice. And so you let that go and then ah, you get screwed again. You get the smallest budget or, you know, you've got to still go in. You don't have to be a jerk, but to be clear. And again, in her case, she's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to help the rest of my team. This is also, of course, it's going to help me, too. But if I don't help myself I can't help others, right? There's nowhere for them to go up. There's no new opportunities and they're going to leave. Absolutely. Right? The ambitious ones. It's, it's inside out. Everything yeah. is inside out in leadership. It starts with me and I build my skills. I build my capabilities. Then I build my relationships. And then I work from the inside out with my teams, with my organization and so on. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. And Gary, can I make one point on that? I very much believe on this inside out. But I will make one statement here that will get people thinking, okay, which is, I mean, we know the leadership book, True North, and I agree with that on one level, right? We do have to know ourselves and where we're going, our compass and so forth. These are, these are important things. But also, I would say in a lot of ways, and what we've just been talking about, this part around political skills and building power. In many situations, it's, it's critically important to know the true north of other people. Mm. On that power map, what is the true north, right? If the CEO is thinking about selling the company, right, this is what is in her or his interest right now. So other stuff's not going to matter to the extent you're trying to influence them. You know, keeping that central point in mind. Is, is critical, right? How do you connect an idea with that? Because if people kind of align of like how it helps them, then they're more willing to kind of back or support something. Yeah. So yeah. And, and we're actually not in conflict on this. You yeah. know, you said, I want to, we're adding, right? Exactly. So exactly. I need to know what I want to do and accomplish in order to be able to identify what the motivations of other people are that would fit with what I would like to accomplish in my life. If I don't know what I want to accomplish in my life, I have no idea who to look for. Yeah. And that <laughs> is, I mean, I think a, a critical point, right, about knowing what you want. But secondly, which is where, you know, we had a personal conversation about this, is if you are very good at power and politics, but you have no inner compass, this is when, you know, you can burn the village down. I, I mean, I talk about power like fire. So, you know, if you have fire, you can do lots of things with that, right? You can power the village, light it, feed people, but you could also burn it down. So this is what we get in a lot of organizations and a lot of the problems we have in the world right now 
are the, the adept people with power or politics, not always purity of intent. And their inner compass says they're going to use power in a different way. Well, when they got power, now you can see how potent of his force is because that's what can burn the whole village down. Yeah, yeah. Can take us in a lot of different directions, both good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. So, Michael, I want to wrap this thing up. Uh, I, I we could go on for hours about this with power and leadership. I mean, it's a great topic. I, I absolutely love this idea of the power map to help people become intentional and focused on what they want in their careers. I wish I had this book when I was in my twenties or thirties. But if I had, you see, here's the problem, Michael. If I had, I wouldn't have gotten all that experience. <laughs> of getting fired a couple of times so that I can help companies today do what I do. I, I don't, I didn't really get fired. I mean, it was a mutual agreement when they said you're fired and I, I mutually left. Uh, anyway. Um, but, but Gary, that- <laughs> this is the, this is the thing, right? Persistence and continual learning. Yes. Right. You are, you are going to get setbacks. You are going to run into conflict. You are going to run in opposition. And so, I mean, Frankly, a lot of my message doesn't always land on 20-year-olds. It would mm. incredibly help them, but they're not open to it. They need to go through some of that personal experience themselves. So most of my clients who really like, I missed the promotion three times, someone passed over me, right? The trigger event comes and they get very frustrated by that. But this is a force that is there. Be aware of it. Learn from experience. But hey, if you don't have to learn through some of those painful experiences, which is what drives me because I saw some amazing people. It is painful. I've been derailed too when that happens. Then, hey, you know, get the book. And if this helps you and if coaching helps you or working with you, Gary, helps them, by all means, people should do it. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me, Michael, of the uh, a friend of mine that once I was talking about how people who have had a near-death experience are so calm and happy and grateful and and he came up to me after the speech that I was given talking about this. And he says, Hey, Gary, I've got a question for you. And I said, What's that? He says, You're talking about near death experiences. And, and he says, I said, Yeah. And he says, Why wait? You know, why wait to have the near death experience? Why don't you just choose? So I think that's the message here for, for you, Michael, is don't wait for yourself to get fired. Don't wait for yourself to get overlooked in a promotion. Right. Take a look at this, this power map today and figure out how you can be focused on your future within an organization. I, I just love it. So yeah. I want to wrap up. I want to wrap up with my, my final question, Michael, which, which I ask everybody on my podcast. And that is if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to that 20 year old, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago to, to Michael, what would you tell Michael? What advice would you give Michael if you could write that letter and send it back in time? It's a great question. That's why I love <laughs> working with you, Gary, and, and being here. I thank you again for the invitation. So to my 20-year-old self, and you know, I show up very differently today than you probably remember the 20-year-old me more than I do. Um, the number one thing is to work more on the interpersonal and to take more chances Mm. putting yourself out there work on the interpersonal and take more chances and i'll tell you why and this probably resonates with with many who are listening you know i grew up i'm I'm half chinese and in, in kind of an asian culture where my mom you know 
it is, and my grandparents were very central in my life, was keep your head down, work really hard. And particularly in kind of the Asian culture is you don't kind of raise your hand and, and share something unless you have the answer, right? It's very kind of black or white. There's a lot of good things, right? Respect and so forth. But that and being more introverted and probably, you know, uncomfortable on certain things, you know, through high school, um, being slightly different. You know, I, I didn't take as much chances to participate in class, right? A lot of college was discussion, you know, activities and so forth. So that I think I worked on later, <laughs> but, you know, it's, and it's never too late to start. I mean, imagine thinking I was in sales, public speaking back then. And, and I see it's with my kids. They don't get it here in the Spanish educational system. We do that very well in the States of public speaking and so forth. But the interpersonal and take some chances. Mm. You know, when you're early in your career or life, right, there's, you know, the, 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 the price of failure is relatively or low or it's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's it because it's about people. Like we're coming full circle to what we said about the, at the beginning. It's who? It's about people. It's about people. And, and I, I'll, I'll just add to that because whenever I talk about this and people bring up the interpersonal and, and you talked about what the message was from your parents and your grandparents that said, and mine said the same thing. They're that greatest generation. And they came up and they say, look, work hard and everything will work out. And that is just false. Okay. It's not, if, if you want to do some things in an organization or in the world, just working hard isn't going to be enough. Yes, you have to work hard, yeah. but you also need to build these relationships, build these connections, do the interpersonal things. And, and oh, by the way, God, it's so much more fun to be doing it with others. Mm -hmm. It's so much more fulfilling. So, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that totally drives us, you know, and this is the central thing reinvention, but all of the things, and we can always. <laughs> <laughs> look at the arc of our career. But when you look at the commonalities, you know, career is not linear. But for me, it was, you know, hey, am I helping people? And, you know, I bring passion and commitment to that. And so that has defined all of the different companies or businesses that I work on and I bring to all the clients I coach. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time and your wisdom here today. Uh, you've grown up a lot since that uh, high school kid that was hitting <laughs> forehands with me. And as I always try to do at the end of the program, I try to tell my guests the, the title of this podcast, and I think it's going to be called Power, Who, Then, What? And that, that, that'll be our, our title. And thanks so much for being my guest today, Michael. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Garrett. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.